We back, y'all. Hey, friend. <laughs> it's me again, your girl, Melinda Rackley, the inspiration engineer, and you are listening to the Rise and Grove podcast. Today, we're going to continue our boundaries boot camp, and we're going to be talking about boundaries with your friends and your family, the two F's we cannot live without. It's going to be a good episode, y'all. I promise you that. We have Derek. He's back again. He is our resident boundaries expert, and of course, Mr. Sterling. Y'all, I've been missing Mr. Sterling, so I'm so happy we have him back. He is asking the questions that get our minds going, and I know that this episode is really going to give us a deeper look into the boundaries that we need to create and maintain with our friends and our family. So here it is. I hope you enjoy. It's, it's, I didn't realize how little, how I didn't have boundaries until I read this book. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, oh my God, I've been doing my whole life wrong. Yeah, for, yeah. For 32 years, all wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I got, you know, I got, I got one or two like set in stone boundaries, like the one with my time we talked about there. And, and, but I learned that in counseling, um, in oh. therapy, I learned that. And my therapist was like, you've got to set boundaries because if not, people will just, and, and especially in this chapter, people, family will have their way with you. Friends will have their way with you. And you'll be doing everything to make them so happy. And you're so miserable because there's no boundaries. No boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I was, I'm so guilty even now as I'm trying to like build healthy adult friendships. It's hard because People don't know how to be friends. And then you find yourself just being a compliant where you just be like, okay, let me just ugh, uh-huh. do it. Uh-huh. I don't want to start nothing, you know. That's in the chapter. You already done your homework. That's and that's that is that's that's the, that's me. I'm the compliant friend. I'm the one I'm gonna go along, you know. It's like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard. And I think part of it is the way we were taught and raised, be nice to everybody, it's you know. Difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're we we've created monsters that people enjoy. Yeah. Cause I think for me it was looking at, you know, my mom, I love her to death. She's a, a wonderful woman. But I always in my mind, I was like, I don't want to be difficult like my mom. I don't want to be difficult. I don't want to be difficult. And so me not wanting to be difficult, I think in some ways made me a bit of a pushover to other people. Passive. There, listen, my mom is a rattlesnake. The, everybody love her. Everybody meet her. Oh, I love your mom. My mom will go from zero to 60 like that. Mm-hmm. And I and I always say, oh, I don't want to be like mama. I don't want to be like mama. And and that's that's the end result now. You know, people like, oh, you're so nice. So I know I can count on you. Yeah, uh-huh. Being passive like mama. Yeah. The opposite of mama. Oh, I just tell you, it's, but it's so much to learn. And I was... You know, I realize now that the key to me being able to do a little bit better than what my mom did was to learn these things. Like, I feel like I'm going to have to go through this book about five more times. Yeah. Because I just, it's, it's clicking, but it's like, oh my gosh, wait, 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 wait. Is that, is that me? That's me. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's me. I need to change. (laughs) Yeah. And, and it is, it's, it's a learning process, you know, um, our parents, they didn't do a lot of the reading that we do. And it was trial and error. You know, I tried it. It didn't work, you know, and we, we, um, you know, the Bible even says um, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Yeah. And it, it doesn't 
strictly say spiritual or religious. It just says knowledge. And I think a lot of times that's where our parents, our parents parented us the way they were parented. Yeah. And if if we chose not to say, I want to try something just a little different because my mom was a yeller. So like with Terrence Angelica and even McKenzie, I try not to yell because yelling just broke me down. Now, my sisters, they were thugs. They had to get beatings. <laughs> but that yelling did something to me. But, you know, um, again, just learning. I don't want to do it that way, but I still want to try to do it right. Mm-hmm. Again, it's like when you say that I, I still want to do it right. It's like you have to define what right is for mm-hmm. your house. Like I'm mm-hmm. realizing with in my house is different than when I go to my mom's house. Uh-huh. With you know, you have to kind of redefine what yes. right is because right for my sister is not right for me. <laughs> You know, because every child is different. <laughs> oh, that is so true. That is so true. And and that that is even when we uh, deal with these with the family boundaries, that's one of where one of the issues come in. Um, trying to treat all everybody the same. I'm gonna do it this way, and it doesn't work like that. Yeah, that's so true. I think the biggest thing for me when it came to boundaries and family, because my sister, and I talked about this on the other podcast when we did our forgiveness boot camp, um, she decided she didn't want anything to do, you know, with, uh, with our family because of some things that happened that didn't involve me. And she even straight up told me it did involve me. And I didn't, I wasn't even there, but she was like, I just felt like it was better to just cut everybody off. And I'm like, okay, whatever, you know, Wow. And so she would go through this thing where she would come in my life for a little bit and Kayla would be so excited about her aunt because she only got one aunt, mm-hmm. you know, she would be so excited and she would see her cousins and then she would go away again and then she would come back and go away again. And I said, you know, and this was recently within the last three months, I said, listen, I can't do this in and out. So I'm just going to politely ask you to just stay on out because you mm-hmm. can't make up your mind and mm-hmm. I can't keep going through this and I can't keep taking my child through this. Good so child, I blocked right. your number and, you know, it's like I realized that right for me when it comes to family, no matter how much you may want someone around and they, they may have good parts of them, you have to create a boundary that you can't continue to let them abuse you in any way you know if it's not helping your life grow or it's not helping you as a parent you gotta you know let them go Mr. Starling we were just asking about you so glad to see you (laughs) likewise I was listening in I I had issues coming in but I'm, I'm here thank you so much for the warm welcome Yes, we're so happy to see you. We were just talking about boundaries um, with family and in friendship. And I was telling Derek, you know, the, the family boundary is one that I'm learning now. The friend boundary, I think it's, it's a little harder for me because growing up, my mom, she just had friends to come in and out. So we never saw that consistent you know, like Derek, you and my brother Dwight, you've been friends for 30 years, you know? Mm-hmm. And with my mom, I can only think of maybe two people that she's been friends for that long span of time. And so when it comes to women and friendships, I find it's hard. Mm-hmm. It is extremely hard to have friendships with other females because I think we all crazy in our own way. <laughs> oh God, yes, sir. Come on in. Yes, sir, Mr. Sterling. 
Yeah, so I guess my question is this to, to both of you is, um, how would you define uh, boundaries within family or friends versus loyalty? Mm. When do we know that the wisdom of the difference? Oh, that's a good question. Melinda, you, know, you want to start? I used to be loyal to the point of stupidity. <laughs> you know, I would be like, well, that's my sister. You know, that's, oh, I love her. I'm a stick by her. I'm a stick with her. But then I had to learn that loyalty shouldn't come with the cost of your reputation, your character, your integrity. Mm -hmm. So I feel like when it comes to a point of, my integrity or my character is being questioned now, then I have to then switch off. Okay, I love you, but there has to be a line here. And I'm still, like I said, I'm a newbie in this. Like my little advice is so limited to my little scope of the world. Um, and, I, and like I said, I'm still learning these things. My hardest, my hardest breakaway was with my sister and learning that I couldn't still be loyal to someone who didn't want to be loyal to me. You know, it wasn't reciprocated. It wasn't a relationship that we were both growing and learning and loving each other with our full whole hearts, you know? And I believe that loyalty shouldn't cost you to bleed. You know, it shouldn't cost you to be uh, hurting to the point of you can barely get up in the morning or you can barely function because you're, you know, replaying a, a bad interaction. So when it comes to the place of no matter who it is, no matter how much I love them, like them, I want to be with them. When I start bleeding, you know, in my heart space and when I feel like my character and integrity is in question, the boundary has to be built. The relationship is probably going to have to be released because uh, at that point it's, it's damaging stuff that will take me much longer to repair. I, um, I, I would agree with um, Melinda Sterling, and, and it's such an interesting question because I think sometimes within our families, we become loyal to, uh, to the detriment of our well-being. Mm -hmm. And we, we are so loyal, we start to enable family members, and then it has a, an effect on who we are and what we do and how we interact with them. And I think for that reason, it is important even within our families to establish at some point, I think it, um, it moves beyond loyalty. And I think what, what makes us loyal is our love for our family members. But I think it moves beyond that. I love you and I'm so loyal to you to the point that I love you and I'm going to set boundaries for you because if I don't, my loyalty my loyalty could cause jeopardy to me and my well-being, wherein my boundaries, my boundaries will still allow me to love you. Um, and it may, um, it may not hurt as bad, if you will. Um, that loyalty I'm going to give, I'm going to give 100%, you know, um, I'm the only boy of sisters. And so, you know, I had to um, establish that when I decided that I was going to get married and have my own family, I had to then set boundaries with my sisters to let them know that I have a first priority. Now, I still love you. Um, I, I can um, have boundaries with you. I can't be as loyal to you 
as I was, now I have to set some boundaries so that it doesn't jeopardize my well-being. Yeah, that's so true. Like your well-being. And it's like it took, now that I've been through a process where it took me a really long time to get to a place of, you know, the beginning stages of a peaceful life, I am like holding on to dear life for it because I know how how fragile it is and how easy it is for the wrong relationship to just shatter your peace. And, you know, then you have to go back to square one and your well-being is no longer where it was optimal, you know? So I, I've, this topic, this family and friends and boundaries is right on time for me. I think this whole series has been like yes. for me, if not anybody else. <laughs> oh gosh. I hope that answers your question. Yeah. I want to hear what, um, I see you, Mr. Sterling. Go ahead. Yeah. So I, I guess, um, I get, I imagine it, it stems from the value systems that, that we have and what we mean by family and what it represents to us. Um, but I'm thinking, the, the, you know, again, the, the, the distinction between then loyalty in regards to family versus sacrifice, because, you know, often you hear the word sacrifice when you hear the word family. So what is a sacrifice? Um, and can, can sacrifice and a boundary coexist? So for example, for me, a sacrifice means that, you know, if we go back to um, the idea of what a sacrifice is, um, etymologically speaking, it's to offer something, to offer the life of a being uh, for a greater cause. Um, so in that aspect, when we offer a sacrifice of self, is that not, in a way, impeding a boundary? Is that not destroying a boundary? Hmm. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a beautiful question. And I, in my mind, as you were talking, it just started spinning to when the book talks about uh, respond, don't react. And I think a lot of times if we approach a situation reacting, we often go to that sacrifice point because we're reacting and we react in the most of the times, or at least for me, we react in the most drastic ways that we feel is going to solve the problem immediately. And that often in, involves a sacrifice, you know? And, and if we stop for a moment and focus in, okay, what's the issue? What's the problem? And respond calmly in a, you know, a comfortable space, like uh, Christine was saying, we'll be able to create a solution that doesn't require us to sacrifice you know and I think that that's a learned behavior you know especially with women you know or you know we, we sacrifice I, I, I hear women say that all the time I sacrifice to raise my kids and you know I sacrifice my dreams for my family or my husband but I don't necessarily and and, and, and I'm single so I can't you know I, I can only speak so much but I don't necessarily believe that sacrifice is always necessary there's only, I believe in life, there's only a few times where we we genuinely need to sacrifice and be okay with it. You know, sometimes when we sacrifice, we're not okay with it for real. You know, we land in our bed like I needed that money or I didn't really want to do that or, you know, so 
I try now before I go to the drastic point of labeling this as a sacrifice, I try to stop and comfortably respond from a space that says I'm doing this out of my heart. This is coming from my values, my principles, and I am not going to regret this. I'm not going to write down in my journal how much I hated doing this. Um, this is something that I'm doing out of love, you know, and when when I don't do stuff out of love, then it's easy for me to say, I'm sacrificing this for you because it wasn't done from my heart, from the core of who, you know, who I am. So again, that's my, I'm only 32. That's my little 32 soapbox. <laughs> so what you think, Derek? And you, you said something and I was reading one of the notes that I made for tonight. And it says people who own their lives do not feel guilty when they make choices about what they're doing or where they're going. They take other people into considerations, but when they make choices, they are choosing out of love, not guilt. Mm. And I think sometimes, Mr. Sterling, that guilt is what makes us feel like we're sacrificing. It's it's that it's not it's not a response out of love. It's guilt. And 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 to avoid feeling bad about myself, I'm going to make this sacrifice because I'm doing it out of guilt because love, you know, even when we think about sometimes, you know, and I thought about something you said, Melinda, when you talk about, I can only imagine, you know, Mr. Sterling brought up the fact of what a sacrifice ultimately is, you know, and in my mind, I thought about the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. Yeah. And can you imagine having that sacrifice every day? And, and literally a sacrifice cost us something. Yeah. And if we're doing that every single day, for someone, we are drained. We are depleted. We 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 have no more being or good. So even when it might be the opportunity to sacrifice, I think I may still have to have an established boundary to say no. Yeah. No. Yeah. It, yeah. This would be a sacrifice for me. You know, it might be my last. Uh, but again, saying no. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's almost like when it comes to sacrifice and giving and, and just what I'm learning in relationships now, especially with friends, is my job is to keep my cup full. And just like uh, Coach Michelle said, I can only give from what's outside of my cup, the overflow, you know, and if it's like, um, for instance, uh, I had, you know, uh, like a month ago. I had just issues with, with a, a young lady that I consider to be a friend. We had been friends since college and, you know, and every deployment she had, I would write her, we would come visit each other. But I said something to her and I realized that we didn't really have a friendship. It was a connection. It was a companionship but it wasn't a friendship because I was sacrificing who I was being authentic. I couldn't bring my authentic self to the table because I wasn't sure how she was going to handle it or what she was going to say or, you know, and I found myself saying a lot when I, you know, when I went to call her, I have to call this person or I got to make sure I do this instead of I get to, 
when I talk about people or two people and I find myself saying I have to, instead of I get to, I realize in my mind, okay, I'm pouring from my cup and not my overflow. Um, because, you know, for me as a, as a single mom, I have to protect my energy and my space because <laughs> it's real out here, you know? And, you know, I don't want to be so busy giving to other people that I'm not able to give to my greatest gift, which is my child, you know? So I so agree with you, Derek, on what you just said. Yes, sir. I see your hand. I'm ready. We ready. We ready. Yes. <laughs> I love what I'm hearing because um, some things that both of you are saying uh, helps me define better, you know, where I sit because um uh, I have been like um, my grandparents have had a lot of influence on me in how they interpret, for example, um, the values of the the New Testament and how you know just like you were saying, you know, um, you know, you know Jesus being sacrificed and through through his father and all of that. That's basically what has been taught to me. And so for me to define, you know, this idea of, you know, boundaries, basic, basically saying that you love someone. Um, when you juxtapose that to how some of these scriptures have been, you know, um, interpreted, that can bring some, you know, some confusion anyways for me. But um, I like what you were saying about um, you know, replacing I have to by I, I get to and, and making that distinction. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm just going to flip it around. And for me, I think it really does uh, resound good to me. And I think I should start by saying, you get to. Mm. You get to spend time with me. You get to have access to my sacredness, my mm -hmm. intimacy, uh, as much as I can get to, to have access to yours. And I, I love what you were saying there, uh, Melinda, about that. I think, I think maybe I'll make a t-shirt out of that because I think <laughs> I need to remind myself of this. Um, um, yeah, so that really resounded uh, for me. And, and I guess the um, one of the, um, and I see this as a pattern, um, you know, when you're in the field where you're, you're helping people all the time and there is a reason for it. I mean, you've been groomed in that way and it becomes a gift, mm -hmm. right? But the a gift in German also means poison. So it's really interesting that, you know, a gift could be a gift, but it could also be a poison for yourself. Um, and, and I'm thinking about what also what we attract mm. um, and the behaviors, for example, of narcissism, or of codependency, um, you know, to be there for somebody else, you actually have to be, mm. you have to exist first on your own. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't, I, I'd be curious to understand what your, what your experience of life is, both of you in making that distinction between I am of service to, uh, you know, and that's kind of like my program, or that's my design, my, my, my divine design is to be of service to mm -hmm. versus I am entrapped 
in a program <laughs> of serving. Mm. So I'm wondering if you could share some insights about that. You're gonna have to take that one first, Derek. <laughs> so when I, you know, I, I think about that, I think for me, my my mindset is I am a servant. That, that's my ultimate mindset. I am here to serve and help. Um, but I like the last part you said, Mr. Sterling, about being entrapped or enslaved, because I think at sometimes, even, even in our serving, we have to balance, if you will, because if not, we become entrapped and enslaved. And the way I think about it is when I go out to a restaurant, I am not the only person that the waitress or waiter has to serve and give their full attention to. When I'm there, they may have three or four other tables that they have to serve. What they have to find or then determine is where's the balance and what's the priority that I have to serve at this moment or this moment? Or, or otherwise, you could potentially do just that, become enslaved to that one table. And the other people that you are here to serve and need to serve will not get the service that they need. And I, and I, and I think about that in our lives. The people that I serve, I serve children in my school. I serve teachers in my school, but if I get so um, tunnel vision on one area of service, I could potentially become enslaved in that area and the other areas where I need to serve and still need, they need my service will go neglected. And I think it, um, we have to do um, just define, again, define those boundaries to say, I can serve you to this capacity for this amount of time, whatever that time may be, or um, I'm, I'm serving you as, as you need service, but I also have other areas I need to service because I think something else that could potentially happen is we get so locked into serving that one area, we, we, we get it enslaved, if you will, and it's no longer a joy to serve yeah. because it should be a joy to serve. Um, and, and I tell people all the time, people, people, you know, they'll give us all these titles and I say, I'm here to serve. And so I want my serving to be of joy. But when I think I give too much to one area and neglect the others, then that's where I potentially no longer enjoy serving, but we do and come in slave. Mm, that's so true. And I think kind of piggybacking off of what you were saying, Derek, for me, it's more of creating a, a healthy harmony. Um, and I, you know, I, I think <laughs> I might, uh, I don't know, I, I, hopefully I'll be able to explain this properly. Um, but in my life, what I have learned for me, and it could just be wording, but I've learned that it's, it's, it's helpful for me to try, to try and create harmony over balance because for me balance is saying I have two hands and I'm trying to walk around holding these two things in my hands but harmony is saying that everything has a space 
right? Everything has a space and I can visit that space at its appointed time. I'm not trying to walk around carrying it all. It's kind of like the way that the world turns, you know, in its own perfect harmony. Nobody's trying to hold everything in their hand. And when I live my life in this space of everything has Everything has its place and I can visit it at its time. I don't have to walk around with it in my hands. It helps me to not feel like a slave. When I'm trying to carry everything in my hands, then I feel enslaved to whatever I'm carrying in my hands because I got to make sure it's okay. I got to make sure that, oh, I don't drop whatever's in my hands. Whereas, you know, in my world now, I try to create freedom so that I can thrive and exist without feeling weighed down because it can be very difficult to try and, and, and balance everything. You know, we hear that balance word so much in life, but for me, it just doesn't work. Balance does not work because my mind, my little mind is thinking, I only have two hands, you know? So, you know, it's kind of like the same example with a restaurant, you know, the, the, the manager, the owner, has to make sure that it stays harmonious where everybody's getting cared for and no table is neglected, you know, because if he just walks around only with two tables in his hands, one of them's going to get dropped. One of them's going to get neglected. So that's, that's really what has worked for me. And it's something that I didn't learn until I had the strokes because I couldn't walk and there wasn't, I couldn't, I couldn't use my left side at all. So for me to try and carry a lot of stuff in my hand, it just wasn't going to happen. And so one day I was home with my daughter, Kayla. She was about, uh, I think she was maybe four months at the time. So she was still a small baby. And I had a severe limp. It was a, such a bad limp. And I was still going through therapy and everything. And I needed to take her from the the back room where we were sleeping at my mom's house to the front room. And all I had was my wheelchair was right in the door, which I never used until this day. And something inside of my mind was like, instead of trying to carry a baby and a bag, why don't you put the carrier inside the bag, hang the bag on the back of the wheelchair, and then you just wheel the baby inside of her seat, inside the wheelchair where it needs to go. And it created a, a healthy harmony because I was able to carry so much more things when I found a way to not enslave myself to feel like, oh God, I gotta make 12 trips and I'm gonna fall down and I'm gonna hurt myself. You know, when I, I was so worried about falling at that point in my life that the fear of falling, it, it had me enslaved. I would not walk because I was so scared of walk of, of falling. But then once I realized there's so many ways that you can get stuff done and not fall, it makes sense to me. Everything can exist. It's just creating a different path to getting there. That was a long drawn out story, but I think you know, that was the point. <laughs> but I, I I like that. And I just want to say this one part. I'm gonna I'm gonna adopt that because when you when you started saying harmony, I thought about the infinity symbol and how it doesn't break and it, it's just a continuous flow. And I, in, in, in reality, that is how we, we, we operate to most capacities. It's, it's that continuous flow. I'm, I'm always moving on this continuum. I'm just at a different point at different 
at a different time. So you've given me something to think about because I like that idea of harmony um, in my life as opposed to balance, because you're right. When you think about balance, it's like, I, I got this for this moment, but if it's harmonious, there's that continual flow. There's that continuity that we need in life. I like that. Oh my God, look, I said something that was good, y'all. My little 32, look at there. <laughs> you know, and for me, especially with friendships, you know, and I'm learning now that um, the hardest friendships are ones that I have unrealistic expectations for. <laughs> you know, they are so hard. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Yes, sir, Mr. Sterling. Yes, I really appreciate this conversation because I think uh, that the, the next stop for me in my mind is, you know, you're talking about harmony. Um, and I, I get that, the, the, you know, cosmic harmony of things. And in relationships, um, and maybe I'm too late with this question, but the, the relationships when there's a power dynamic, um, and the, the, um, how you negotiate boundaries in a power dynamic. So for example, um, in a relation, in a friendship or family, you may come from a place of a value that of generosity, openness, compassion, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the other person may come from more of a value system of um, how can I get the most out of this relationship? And that other person can have a power over you within this, the schema of the family system. So we know that in families, just as in friendships, there are people who have a social capital over you um, and they can use that to ostracize you from a group or to keep you in the group. And so the question is, how do you maintain a relationship with real boundaries while saying, you know, at this point I'm out. And if you say you're out, you're also saying I'm out of the family system and I'm out of the friendship system. So how do we, you know, is it worth continuing in a, in a network of people where there is that power? Hmm. Mm. That's a really good question there. And, and I'm going to give my little example and then I'm going to be quiet because I want to hear what Derek have to say. <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead and think about your response now, brother, because it's going to have to be real. Um, so for me, my example is going to be very kind of elementary. But my mom does not like to drive. She doesn't drive that much now anymore. But uh, last year, you know, she's like, I'm mama, I'm mama. You gonna do, I, I'm mama. Okay, that's fine. I'm, I'm good and grown. I pay all my bills, but okay, I'll let you have it. And um, so she was in my car and we were going some, no, I was driving her car. Um, and we were going some, I don't remember where we were going, but she likes to complain when you drive. And this day I had had enough 
up the complaining and, she, and I said, Mama, could you please be quiet? Could you stop? I'm mama. I'm gonna talk. I'm mama. You gonna listen to me to the day I'm going. I'm mama. Okay. We I turned out of the store and she was, oh God, oh God, oh Jesus, oh Jesus, just so dramatic. I stopped the car in the middle of the road and I said, either you gonna drive or you gonna stop all that dramatics. Since that day, I promise you, I promise y'all, I'm the only person who can drive her and she will sit quietly. She will play Candy Crush on her phone, okay? I promise. And Derek, you know my mom, you know how dramatic she is. Ask Dwight, when he's driving, she'll go off the roof crazy. But when I'm driving, she'll play Candy Crush, she'll be on her phone. And we've been able to have some pleasant trips now with me driving because I set a clear boundary. I mean, and sometimes I think when you have people who are in control of you and they feel like, oh, I could just say and do whatever I want to do. You have to sometimes get crazy just back with them. Because I don't think she was expecting me to stop in the middle of the road. We were literally in the middle of the road with cars coming on both sides. And I said, either you gonna stop or you gonna get out and drive. <laughs> and she stopped, you know? Because I think it's sometimes people in authority, they don't expect us to stand up for ourselves, for our needs. You know, and they feel like maybe their needs or their position is superior, but no, you're a human just like me. You put on your mask one ear at a time, just like me. Okay. <laughs> so it's, it's for me, that was a turning point. It made me see that no matter who the person is, when you match their crazy and let them know that there has, this has to stop, I will not take it usually it'll it'll change now it, it could have went another way she could have got out the car and hobbled over the drive thank god she didn't it would have been different but in my example it worked in my favor all right y'all i'm gonna stop it right here for today but as you know i have a part two coming soon so you're gonna hear Derek's response to my crazy story of how i created an unconventional boundary with my mother <laughs> Oh, creating boundaries with friends and family can be difficult. It is a delicate situation, probably one of the most fragile, but it is not impossible to create and maintain those healthy boundaries with those we love and that are the closest to us. So I hope that you come back and you hear part two of Boundaries with Friends and Family. Thank you again for listening to the Rise and Grow podcast with me, your girl, Melinda Rackley, the inspiration engineer. I'll see you soon, my friend. Bye.